welcome to another week of the Fiber Coven podcast. We're so excited to be talking with you guys and talking with each other. We will kick things off from with some news from our friend Emily, who is Kitty with a Cupcake. Yes, and that was Lauren of Valkyrie Fibers. <laughs> We're a little rusty. It's okay. So I am going to be vending at some places, one of which is Crafty Supermarket on May 13th. That's in Cincinnati at the Music Hall Ballroom. It's a fun time. I'll have like all my stuff. I think it will be the first show I'll have the Zodiac pins in person with me at. So that's exciting. And then I am also going on a mini tour with Kemper of Junk Yarn in uh, June and late May, I guess. Calendars. They're confusing. Uh, That's so it, awesome. Yeah, it's the totally 90s summer nostalgia tour. And we are visiting Boston Fiber Co. on Wednesday, May 31st. Uh, Circle of Stitches in Salem, Massachusetts on June 1st, and Skein Yarn Shop in Providence, Rhode Island on Saturday, June 3rd. Yay! Yay! Sweet! Now on to our fibery content. You finished a thing. I finished a thing. I was at shows doing boring stuff, and it's, it's a hat. Yay! It's Yay. another Musselberg hat. It's another Musselberg hat. I haven't blocked it yet, but I finished it. It's off the needles. I just need to block it on a balloon. This was yarn that Clara gave me that I have forgotten the name of, and I don't have the label with me right now, but we said it before, so just look at our show notes. That's why we make them. But mm -hmm. it's green and tweed and very nice, and it will be a gift hat. Nice. It's lightly tonal. It's very beautiful, like a nice, like, muted emerald. Can you tell I have to make color descriptions for things often? <laughs> it's good because I am not doing it enough for an audio podcast. Yeah, I didn't finish anything, but I've also been out in the world and needing some portable vanilla knitting and I too am working on a hat. So I burst my hat out. I noticed you've been doing the Musselberg hat for your vanilla hat purposes. And I've been doing lately a modified sock head. Yeah, and I, I used to do that progress. one, but there's too much ribbing. It makes me sad. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually got some really good progress on this. I did six full inches of ribbing before I grafted the cast on edge up. And now I am knitting away on the body of the hat, the main portion of the hat. It's soft and squishy and I love it. I guess I don't mind ribbing as much as you do. I do. I mind it very much. <laughs> Yeah, I'm having a lot of fun. It's kind of, kind of turning into a little micro stripe and I'm liking it a lot. This is some souvenir yarn that a friend picked up for me as hand dyed in Hawaii. Uh, it will also be in our show notes because I don't feel like digging out the tag. It's a pretty variegated skein with some kind of natural earthy browns and greens and some bright turquoises. That's yeah. Very nice. Yeah. I'm so proud of me for being in public. <laughs> working on this <laughs> but I've been working on that because all of my other projects are just absolutely massive which of my massive projects would you like to see first Emily the blanket show me the massive blanket okay good so I've been working on my heirloom temperature blanket which is a year-long process I am fishing it out from underneath my cat's butt right now um it's it's pretty big Oh, yeah. So we've been having quite the winter here in the Sierra Nevadas. I am ready for new colors, but I am stuck in the cold colors. It's been a while since you've seen it last. I'm trying to find this 
progress keeper. There she is. There's my little Soka. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I've gotten probably a good six inches since you saw this last. It has been, it has been unseasonably cold recording this in the beginning of April and um, I'm ready for warm temperatures, but April's pattern is these nice little diagonals. It's really simple and easily memorizable and I like it. Nice. Been having fun, but I am ready for new colors. People have been messaging me like, oh, I would like, you know, restocks. And they're asking for restocks of the warm colors. And I'm just that so you jealous. haven't even used yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my temperature gradient that I dyed up for this mosaic crochet project, I did 18 colors and I have only made it through the first half. I haven't gotten into the second half. You will and I'm eventually. Ready. I'm ready for change. Mm -hmm. I want to see it because it looks the same as it looked in January. Yeah, it looks, it, it looks the same. There's mm -hmm. there's cool gray, purple, blues, and some light blue greens. That's that's all that's going on. Like yesterday's low was seven. I just put oh, my coldest color, my white, in there. I need some warmth. <laughs> <laughs> but my ice fortress is melting. That's good. I guess I'll just irritate the cat all at once and dig out the other massive project. It is turning into quite the schlog, but I made some really good progress on my massive rebel poncho. Mm -hmm. I cast off two sides. So it's the wingspan is what I want it to be. So I have this really nice, um, stripey situation going on here. So the main body of it is this natural oatmeal that I got from Prado de Lana at Rhinebeck. And then I'm using some green Tweety hand spun and some mystery deep stash here. And uh, now I'm working on the front and the back. And I actually last night while I was a little bit intoxicated, ripped out about 40 grams worth of knitting. I frogged it last night. Why? Um, I was kind of extending the front and the back a little bit because I decided I wanted a little like asymmetry and interest going on. But I was doing it in stockinette stitch with an I-cord border and it was curling. And I'm like, rookie mistake. It's like you have not been knitting for 25 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are you doing so instead? I, <laughs> I'm going to do garter instead. And that will eliminate some purling because now I'm knitting back and forth instead oh, of in yeah, around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that will be better. And, you know, I'm just at nights, I'm just binge watching Stranger Things, which is a rewatch for me. So I think it'll be, it'll be nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice little asymmetric thing. But I really like that now that I've cast off two of the sides, I can try it on a lot easier. And I'm really, I'm really liking <laughs> everything. Um, I think it's going to block out real nice. I think now once I change to adding some length onto it in garter stitch instead of stockinette it's gonna lay real flat and i just can't wait to be my neighborhood cryptid yeah. walking around i feel like we need to get you some like aviator goggles or like weird satchels or something to have some like space props to pair with it yeah like you have a little like thigh holster with blaster sticking out mm -hmm. of one side yeah mm -hmm. you know what i think i just i i need honestly is some like space looking boots. Mm -hmm. I think like some cool like fantasy steampunky boots. Some thigh pouches. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I definitely intend to just throw this on over my standard base layer of leggings and long sleeve t-shirt. Mm -hmm. Well, t-shirt length varies with the temperature, but yeah. it has been the winter that never ends here. So 
enough about me and my massive blankets I'm working on. Would you like to hear about my blanket? I would love to hear about your blanket. Your blanket is very lively and cheerful. Yes, it is my Epic Journey Blankets, which is the uh, Fellowship of the Ring advent <laughs> from Lantern Light Yarn. And I'm done with six whole strips of it. Look at Amazing. that. Um, so I finished the 111th birthday and I finished the Keep It Secret, Keep It Safe stripe, which were the two most recent ones. Keep It Secret, Keep It Safe is a very nice golden yellow um Mm -hmm. semi-solid situation Mm -hmm. and i have me i'm almost halfway done with the next stripe even which is samwise gamgee which has the nice such a perfect samwise gamgee colorway yeah it has the nice like uh sagey weedy green that was the old toby in it um as well Mm -hmm. as like a pumpkin orange and some nice like mushroomy brown and it's very rustic Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the really cool thing about the northeasterly blanket. When you use a variegated yarn, it does tend to kind of have these alternating chevrons. I don't know what dark magic is involved in how that works, but that was my it's, experience. It's just about the well. stitch, the stitch count, and that it's garter stitch, and so it's kind mm-hmm. of like a planned pooling project almost in that way. Like any yarn that would like microstripe in a sock is going to do that pretty much. Mm-hmm. But just because all the other ones are hand dyed tonals, it just makes for really good visual interest. And it's just such a cohesive collection. I really like it. I'm really happy with this project. I like that this is what I decided to do with this yarn. It's making me happy, which is good because I'm going to be doing this for the next three years. <laughs> I can't wait to get it. I mean, I like all of the Lord of the Rings, but like, I can't wait to see how when we start getting to Rohan, in two towers how the colors change yeah i think it's going to be very interesting to see how they change over the course of the story and i think like it's like these are all like kind of shirey colors Um, well yeah you're still in the shire mm -hmm. Uh, and that's the cool thing about this collection is it proceeds chronologically through the books you were saying yeah it's super cool my next color after i finish samwise is the shortcut shortcut to mushrooms which is the first like really speckled one there's some mm-hmm. speckles in this is i think a wizard is never later it's one of the gandalf mm-hmm. themed ones but yeah the next one is a very mushroomy speckle situation and then nice. later in the year as i get further into the fellowship and they're like on the water more there's a lot more blue than has been in this so far so mm-hmm. it's a fun time it is a fun time it's so happy what else have you been knitting on a new project which is my vanilla project that replaced my hat which is almost mm-hmm. a whole sock Ooh, that's nice self-striping sock in uh, purples yeah so this is one of my favorite sock yarns the javol um by lang yarns i like to use this yarn a lot for mm-hmm. chad socks i haven't talked about it in a hot second because i haven't made socks out of it in a hot second uh but it is a commercial yarn um i believe it's german and a cool thing about this yarn is inside the ball, you get this spool of nylon thread, and then you can hold that double with the yarn, and it's dyed in the stripe sequence of the yarn, and you can uh, like reinforce your toes or your heels with that if you desire. That's super clever. Um, Those industrious and clever Germans. Yeah, so I'm on the foot. Um, these are for me. I've never made socks for myself. 
uh, out of this yarn. So I thought that it would be nice to have some there. It's super hard wearing. So I'm sick of mending my socks. So I'm trying it out. Nice. And that's that. Is that all the things you've been working on? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think so. As I look chaotically around my studio. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And now we can talk about our acquisitions. Uh, the only thing I got is that my sweetie sent me a box of junk food because he knows I won't buy it for myself. Oh, that's <laughs> it sweet. It was just pretzels and circus animal cookies and Cheez-Its. <laughs> but you got some stuff because you've been doing so much adventuring i have so i can't remember did i show you that i got my custom order of junkyard no okay i thought that that was i couldn't remember if i got it i think i got it like maybe the day i got home like from recording last time but this mm-hmm. is penelope by junkyard and this is a custom sweater quantity so i have many skeins mm-hmm. it's just a custom order of an existing colorway right yes, yes. custom order of existing color which is a feature that kemper has on her website all the time so if you want a sweater quantity you can request that and see if that's a thing that you can make happen which i think is really nice especially as someone who often needs at least five skeins to make a sweater um, it can mm-hmm. be hard to buy sweater quantities in shop updates mm-hmm. um yeah but this what base did you get um, I got the boss sock base, which is the two ply kind of twisted sock yarn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really good. It's very pastel-y, pink, pinks a, and cool colors. It, yeah, it's pink. It's like a very pink base, and then like there's little pops of neon green. There's little pops of orange. It's gonna be fun. Um, I'm using this to make a. Here, I'll show you like a close up of one of the skeins so you can see that. Mm, oh it's really lovely classic junk yarn yes so i'm gonna make a mama uh by pippin per knits out of this which is Mm -hmm. a cute little open face cardigan uh with like three quarter sleeves nice i think it would be a very good spring early fall cardigan and i i want to cast it on like yesterday like two weeks ago but i've been really busy uh but i need to wind up the yarn so i'm gonna try and do that tonight so i can get started on this as like it's a it'll be a potato chippy knit for me it's like it's not too complicated but sweater it has like some kind of like slip stitchy brioche patterning on the back but it's very repetitive so i'm sure i'll memorize the pattern very quickly and it will just kind of be a potato chippy knit for me i do think i'm gonna alternate skeins um, oh, yeah. As with any, like, you know, super hand dyed uh, speckled yarn, you should. Uh, I would sweater. say if you're doing a garment and it's a variegated colorway from an indie dyer, you should. Even if probably it's not alternate. from an indie dyer, if it's variegated from a commercial yarn, you should probably yeah. alternate skeins still. But if it's like maybe a tonal from a dyer, like, yes, alternating might be a good idea, but. You could also, if it's more just a tonal, you could probably get away with like an inch or two of alternating as you're running out of one skein and starting another, just so yeah. it's not a I have start. I have definitely done that before with an indie dyed total and it was fine. But this mm-hmm. wouldn't be fine because they are very different, obviously. 
Yeah. And also like the level of speckling can change within one skein too. Like you could just hit a spot where the speckles are particularly dense. Mm -hmm. So if it's a speckled variegated one, alternating is usually the best option, I would say. My plan for this, and this is my normal plan when I am deciding how to um, alternate skeins is I'm going to pick the most color concentrated skein and the least color concentrated skein to work with at first mm-hmm. and then use the ones that are more similar after that because I find that usually if you pick the most color concentrated and the least they blend together to make the middle ones kind of ish uh, so there's not too much of a transition that's a really good idea if you pick, I wasn't if you have two yeah. that have like a lot of color and you put them together they still might look a little bit different than the other ones mm-hmm. Yeah. And I wasn't trying to like mansplain earlier. I never realized I could have come across mansplaining, but it was just a good, I like this fun discussion of like how to handle, you know, indie dyed variegated speckled yarns within a garment. It's definitely something to think about. I mean, you spent all the money to have a beautiful indie dyed yarn in your garment. You don't want your garment to have a weird stripe across the boobs or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. So that's that acquisition. And then I also, I have been doing a bunch of shows and stuff. I went to Lexington Comic Con and I was very busy. So I didn't have a ton of time to walk around and look at stuff, but did get a couple things. I got this really cute resin Tamagotchi inspired keychain uh, that has a little tassel. It's hand cast resin, which I used to do. So I appreciate that a lot of time went into this. Uh, And it's just like a little pink, like, Game Boy Mm -hmm. Tamagotchi looking thing. Uh, It has a resin cat inside the screen. So that's like 3D with clear resin on it, which is neat. And it's by the Geeky Gazelle. Mm -hmm. Who was in the artist alley there. And then I also got some stickers from another artist who was in the artist alley there. And they neglected to put their branding information on their sticker sheets. So I don't remember who they are, which is bad. But I got this like witchy oh, my sticker goodness. sheet. Very really cute, cute, pinky purple, cute cats and skulls and candles and witchy hats. This is a uh, Animal Crossing sticker sheet Aww. with different Animal Crossing characters. I like that it has the ghost. And yeah. Then a Stardew Core sticker sheet. So this Aww. is from Stardew Valley, but it like is like cottage core Stardew Valley looking. It's very nice. It has the chicken and the little Junimos. Very so, autumnal colors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I thought that those were nice and she had a deal for getting three sticker sheets. So I got three sticker sheets. Nice. And then my sister came to visit me after the con and my sister really likes crystals, like how I really like crystals, and she might even like be more crystal crazy than me. <laughs> so she has been doing a bunch of live sales uh, with Illuminate Your Vibe crystals, and she bought me some stuff from those live sales and brought them to mm-hmm. me. And I, she, she got me even more stuff than I'm going to show you, but I will show you some of the particularly cool things that I brought with me. So she got me this rutiled smoky quartz it's hard to get a good what does rutile mean so rutiles are the little like strands that are inside there if you can see that Mm. so they are like a different mineral inside of the that was kind of interesting it looks like filaments yes it's very spider webby this like the camera isn't picking up on them as pretty as they are in person you can Mm -hmm. kind of see there 
but they're very like spider webby inside of there. So that's neat. I like that kind of inclusion mm-hmm. in, our, in a rock. And then she also got me this really cool because she knows I like pyrite a lot. This is octahedral pyrite, which is Ooh. rarer than cube pyrite. And it's a lot more sparkly because it has more sides. That's a pretty good sized chunk, too. I'd say like could fit fit nicely in the palm of your hand. Yeah, it's a chunky nugget. Um, but yeah, yeah, very shiny octahedral pyrite. Mm-hmm. And then she also got me this cool uh fluorite bowl oh that's nice it's purple fluorite it's purple fluorite and it's carved into a nice little organic bowl shape but it was carved in such a way that it has really nice rings around the sides of the bowl very striated oh it's so lovely Mm -hmm. uh so yes sister has good tasting crystals Um, excellent (laughs) and then while she was visiting we went to some places uh, and got some crystals. What did, do I have any interesting pocket rocks that I got there? <laughs> she got me some pocket rocks that aren't currently in my pocket, but I got this cool little piece of uh, apricot agate, mm-hmm. which is a fun triangle shape. Mm-hmm. And we went to Herophany and Hedge mm-hmm. while she was here because she's never gotten to go there before, which is my favorite wish store in Covington, Kentucky. If you're around Cincinnati or Louisville, you should definitely go check it out. It's uh, very cool. It's very cool. Yeah, I I actually got a stack of their business cards uh, from them this time because I was like, I talk about you guys at shows all the time and write down your name. And they were like, oh, take these business cards. <laughs> um, it's like an experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're, work- they're hoping to expand it to be bigger in fall because they have more space in the building that they're not using yet. So that'll be cool. Dope. Um, Yes, so they had some cool smoky quartz towers mm-hmm. there. So this is a nice smoky quartz tower. It's got some like phantom crystals and other fun stuff. And my sister got one too. And I also got a cool labradorite Ooh. sphere, which has really nice flashing on it. And mm-hmm. I really like labradorite. Uh, and this is living in the little fluorite bowl. So the little sphere in the bowl, which is festive. Mm-hmm. And I also got a new tarot deck while I was at Harapin Edge. So this is the Ethereal Visions Tarot, uh, the Luna edition. So this is a deck that is by um, Matt Hughes that's been out for a hot second. And it's the um, very like Mooka Art Nouveau inspired deck. But this is a new edition of the deck that Harafian Hedge actually worked with the artist to create that has more cards and more diversity in the cards, which is why I've never bought this deck because it was like all skinny white people before and they have changed that. And the original artwork of the cards, uh, he actually gifted to the shop for helping with that. So they have several of the cards up in the um What do you shop mean by more display. cards? Uh, there are a couple. He did a couple extra major arcanas, I believe. Huh. There are two additional cards to supplement the traditional major arcana, bringing the total up to eighty. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are eighty deck, eighty cards in the deck. Yeah, and they mm-hmm. collaborated with him on the Hierophants card because they're mm-hmm. Herophany and Hedge. But yeah, it comes mm-hmm. with a nice full color book. Oh, that's a that's a meaty book. Yeah, for. And it has like color pictures of all the cards. So that's really nice. I actually haven't opened the deck yet 
because I have been so busy. <laughs> so I'm going to unshrink wrap it right now so I can flip through it a bit for you. But uh, another thing that's different about this Luna edition versus the uh, standard edition of the Ethereal Visions Tarot is the foil is iridescent instead of gold, which I really like. So that's another mm -hmm. reason that I was like, okay, I'll, I'll get this deck now. I really like Art Nouveau Mooka style illustrations. I do too. Yeah. So there's the fool. Oh, so iridescent. Yeah. Very nice. It's really nice, the iridescent look on all of the cards. Seven of Cups. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. think that that's one that was in the shop. Ooh, look at how cool the Knight of Pentacles is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So these look really good. Um, they definitely have that like Art Nouveau border situation, mm -hmm. and that is what the iridescent coating is on all of them. Here's what the back of the card looks like. It's just kind of like celestial Art Nouveau. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, they they were like all white people in the original cards, but they definitely ha have like a lot more people of color represented mm -hmm. in the deck now. I'm going to try and find the Hierophant so we can look at it since that's the one that they did together. Mm -hmm. is it the shop owners I, that's where i want to look <laughs> uh what number is the hero fan why can't i remember this five okay. i drew it the other day thanks and i was like oh yeah i did talk to my mom today <laughs> by talk i mean texted interesting it's huh. like a shooting star interesting yeah it's got like a masculine and feminine face in the columns it's really pretty mm -hmm. yeah interesting cool cool yeah nice. I'm, I'm excited to like work with this deck and try it out i i think that the art is super cool oh look at the three of cups i love the three of cups what a good card three of cups is a nice card oh that's happy it is happy it's supposed to be happy well it's like a traditional image three ladies with cups having a nice time together mm -hmm. hanging out being friends having mm -hmm. the sisterhood we like it we like it so yeah that's that's my new tarot deck that's that's my adventures i've been on <laughs> are you ready to hear about another great adventure i'm excited that i just get to hear the story of this story. <laughs> <laughs> all right so we'll switch gears and jump into occult quarter and if you remember for the last couple episodes emily has been telling us about the early boating disasters of elrond Disasters. That's a new word. Mm -hmm. I mean, El Lafayette Ronald Hubbard is a disaster of a man. Yeah, yeah. But we spent the last two episodes learning about his early boating fiascos. And now we're going to learn about his grand boating fiasco and kind of the end of his life. I'm not going to go into as much detail as Emily did. Um, this man just lived a long life, jam-packed, full of crime. And I'm not going to go super heavily into the Scientology of it all. That might be another episode. We'll just have to see where this one goes. But where we left off within the story, it was 1967. And Lafayette Ronald Hubbard was uh, suffering from mounting paranoia and legal issues on multiple continents. So he decided to assume the mantle of Commodore and take to the high seas mostly in the Mediterranean. He gets three ships, I believe, one of which is a big kind of like cruise liner stuff. And he becomes like 
spoiler alert, the god of his own private little world here, which is kind of how he spends the rest of his life. At this point, he is claiming to not be receiving any money from Scientology, but receiving about 15 grand a week from like international cables from the land-based Scientology units across the world. And he is developing, uh, while he's on this adventure on the Mediterranean, he's developing the mythos that will become more of Scientology later. It's where, where the OT levels come from and the whole mythos of like, over galactic overlord Xenu, like doing some space genocide and creating all these thetans that are like depressed alien souls that make your living human life worse. And that's kind of the gist of it. Uh, yes, I am deriving this from seeing that South Park episode when I was a teenager. But let's get more into the facts of LRH's life. This Sea Org expedition was like logistically run by a handful of paid sailors with experience and and a whole slew of Scientologists who were doing all of the menial labor. They had the experienced sailors running the ships and they said like, there's a lot, there was a lot going on. The sailors were exasperated by the incompetence, but there are also some reports. Well, I shouldn't say incompetence. These people were just inexperienced. They didn't know anything about boats yet. But some of the accounts of these sailors were showing that they were exasperated also at the presence of women on these boats, which was a little problematic. There were lots of women on the boats. There were lots of women and children on these boats. It was great. So in order to become a member of the Sea Org, you had to sign a billion-year contract so, like, when you die and get reincarnated, you have to come back to the Sea Org and keep serving. And if you quit, you were billed for your services. So that was a little problematic. He's holding everybody's passports in a safe. So this is, like, where we start getting pretty coercive and extremely high demand. And it's becoming very difficult for people to leave this sort of a situation. There were all these different ranks of punishment. They were all humiliation-based, like being forced to wear dirty rags, being denied access to hygiene and showers. And of course, they had a brig, which was just a filthy, solitary confinement that they could throw people in. And uh, there were even some reports that may or may not be substantiated of children being thrown into like, their version of solitary confinement. There is collective punishments, which I believe is against the Geneva Convention, possibly, as well as people getting thrown overboard. Not while like the boats are in motion scooting around the Mediterranean, but say they're like in port and somebody has like done the great infraction of washing L. Ron Hubbard's clothes with too strongly scented of detergent. And that irritated L. Ron Hubbard. So this person gets just thrown off the boat while it is stationary, which is like the size of a cruise liner. It's kind of a bit scary and a big deal. And you could hurt somebody, mm-hmm. especially when like, while the majority of the people on the boat were healthy, young, able people, this was not, they were not exclusively like that. There are reports of people who were a little older and less strong swimmers getting thrown over, which is somebody who is not super comfortable in the water. I find terrifying. But they were having so much fun. They were scooting around the Mediterranean, listening to their prophet, L. Ron Hubbard, tell them fantastic stories about space and digging for buried gold that he had buried in a past life. So much fun. A lot of people do 
report like that it was kind of fun going looking for buried treasure and basically sitting around L. Ron Hubbard's feet and listening to fun stories that he would just spin because that was his true talent was spinning bullshit at a fantastic rate. But there are a lot of people that reported like really poor working conditions, even if you weren't being actively punished for some ridiculous infraction. Like there, the, there was dormitory style housing that was not super sanitary. It seemed pretty rough, and especially during bad weather, like Mediterranean gets hot, hot and stinky, like sweaty. It's a sweaty place. In 1970, he starts the Commodore's Messenger Organization, or CMO. And that is a bunch of middle school girls who got to make their own uniform made to deliver messages as if they were coming from L. Ron Hubbard himself. So we have a cadre of middle school aged girls. What? Spokesteens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so these girls have got to decide their own uniforms, which is hot pants, halter tops, and like knee highs and platforms, because of course, uh, middle school girls. And so they're delivering messages like imitating L. Ron Hubbard, and they have the power to deliver like to mete out punishments as if they were the leader, which is pretty crazy. So we have a bunch of middle school girls who, um, having been a middle school girl, like it's a very emotionally volatile time. I guess puberty in general, no matter what your gender is, a very emotionally volatile time. These girls are just drunk on their power and it's really turning into a Lord of the Flies situation with these this little authoritarians running around. reminds me a bit of the Salem Witch Trials. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the main teen girls who were kind of at the center. The accusers. Of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but on the good side of this, none of these girls say that they were s- sexually harassed by L. Ron Hubbard. Uh, so that's good. That's that's great. We like that. <laughs> Other people were sexually harassed, though, right? Yes. Um, (laughs) These girls do report that uh, adult male members of the Sea Org were aggressively pursuing them. Mm -hmm. But I didn't see any reports of physical assault, probably because they had the the ability to send anybody they wished into solitary confinement in a dirty, wet bilge hole. Yeah. (laughs) It was pretty bad. In 1971, LRH's daughter Alexis tries to contact him and he flips out on her and tells her that Jack Parsons was actually her father and that her mother Sarah was a Nazi. So that didn't go well for that child that he had in his second family. Yeah. Is that the one that he kidnapped or was that a different yes. one? Yes. Okay. That was the child that he kidnapped. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, there was the first family that he had before the war. And, and they then there stayed was Sarah. In, they stayed and they, they got out with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he he seduces Sarah Northrop out of the parsonage, has a baby with her, kidnaps her. It doesn't go well. And this is the same person that as a young adult in 1971 tries to reconnect. And he tells her that he's not her father. Jack Parsons is her real father and that her mother's a Nazi. That was one of his favorite things. Anybody he didn't like, he was reporting to the FBI as a communist or a Nazi. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Time goes on. 
Lafayette Reynolds Hubbard is in a motorcycle accident in 1973 and suffers a heart attack in 1975. And also living on a boat is hard. He's suffering from some health health issues in addition to just like, like I said, aging is hard in general under the best of conditions. And when you're living on a boat, cult that's moving around all the time. I imagine it ages you pretty hard. Um, and in 1974, he gets the great idea to start the Rehabilitation Project Force, which is a division of the Sea Org, but it is a forced labor camp. Mm-hmm. And this is on land as well. They they definitely have this in all of their land bases. And it's basically forcing people who have have committed Scientology infractions to do hard manual labor and live in squalor. Mm-hmm. Um, and this continues up through the 2000s. I was seeing it in the Going Clear documentary on HBO. Um, so that's great. We love to see it. That forced labor is a really common thing that goes on in high demand groups. Like you've seen it like in a lot of the like religious fundamentalist stuff, like nation of Islam and some fundamentalist um, Mormon organizations do tend to force people to work for little to no money. In 1975, the guardian's office starts absolutely wilding out. This is when they start trying to take over Clearwater, Florida. I imagine the name Clearwater was a big enticement yeah. because <laughs> his whole in in Scientology, like the state of enlightenment or nirvana that you concept is called being going clear. And it's when you get all the evil aliens out of your body, mm-hmm. I believe. So Clearwater, Florida, they start trying to buy up properties and it's just a sleepy little like resort town in Florida. But like these Scientologists keep buying up property. They still have property there to this day. And they start attacking state organizations that oppose them, like the Better Business Bureau, Mm. the American Medical Association, Mm. the American Mm. Psychological Association. And others, as well as harassing former members, which they call squirrels, and journalists who write pieces that are unfavorable to Scientology. They they absolutely set the people from the Guardian's office uh, to harass them and make their lives terrible. Um, this included in in the seventies faking a hit and like unsuccessfully faking a hit and run accident against the mayor of Clearwater. Like both the person driving the vehicle and the person who's supposed to be hit in this hit and run are both Scientologists. And this poor mayor of Clearwater, Florida is along for the ride. He's just like, oh my gosh, what happened? But so like nobody was actually hurt. They weren't like mowing, trying to mow down a random pedestrian. They were just, yeah, yeah. But this gets pretty out of control in the mid seventies. Scientologists actually successfully infiltrated the Department of Justice and the IRS and put in wiretaps and stole a ton of paperwork, which was very illegal and um, landed them in court where wife number three, Mary Sue Hubbard, was thrown directly under the bus, go straight to jail, do not collect $200, as well as about 10 other Scientologists. And L. Ron Hubbard was an unindicted co-conspirator in that. So he didn't suffer any 
I get that he they decided he owed the state some, you know, he owed some restitution, but he did not have to go to jail for any of this. His wife just went to jail for him. Mm-hmm. Love it. So this kind of brings us to the last phase of L. Ron Hubbard's life. Uh, by this point, he was tired of living at sea and telling a bunch of impressionable young people to dig for treasure that he had buried in a past life. And he wants to transition back to land. There's some real ups they and must downs. Be getting annoyed that there's no treasure as well. Yeah. Yeah. The Sea Org does still exist to this day, but L. Ron Hubbard stops being uh, out on the water, which must have been a bit of a disappointment to him because we know he loves running boat boat. trips Mm -hmm. at this from about 1979 onward he definitely is living in the united states at some point they have like i said they have property in clearwater they have property on the west coast he's living in hiding and writing battlefield earth and the mission earth which is apparently a 10 volume collection of sacred scientology texts which spoiler alert it's just more pulp sci-fi all of this was published between 1985 and 87 but he's just becoming uh, paranoid and a little detached from reality and trying to get this stuff made into a movie. But much like how he tried to make a bunch of Scientologists become sailors, he again tries to make a bunch of Scientologists become film, like everything you'd need to make a big blockbuster film. Lots of people think he saw the success of Star Wars and was like, I need to make a Star Wars and it's like revolt in the stars. It's like, oh, that's a really, really original name, buddy. Oh, I can't even, because like, ugh, I'm, I'm not going to get into it. Just a lot. There's a lot of tales of him being an absolutely unhinged director, just like more corn syrup blood and like there's not enough corn syrup blood and just throwing it everywhere and becoming very enraged at these people who don't have experience in filmmaking, not doing things to his liking and things not coming out well. And he's also like making forays into like a small town wearing various disguises People in this small town know he's like a local kook wearing disguises, but they don't know it's L. Ron Hubbard. Um, but he's just extremely paranoid because he thinks the government is on to him because the government is on to him because he has never once paid taxes in his life and is raking in tons of money. But um, this life in hiding goes on until 1986, where he suffers a fatal stroke. And his ashes are scattered at sea. Yeah. The final failed boat trip. (laughs) I mean, one might argue that was the only successful one. Mm. Yes. So from that point on, Scientology as an organ, religious organization continues on under other people and um, still rakes in a lot of tax-free dollars today. Did you want to talk about cult dynamics in Scientology today or next week. (laughs) We should have figured this out beforehand. We should have. I mean, I didn't do a ton of research on cult dynamics. Uh, Neither did I. We'll talk about it next week. Next week. Uh, I just, yeah, just like my vague thoughts about stuff, but I think it'll be better if I like look some stuff up to talk about it. Yeah. So that was a really long digression on the life of L. Ron Hubbard historically i do think it's fascinating how in probably what 
50 years of just absolute BS spinning that's created this organization. And it's just interesting to see the direct countercultural links between Alistair Crowley and Jack Parsons being the American um, pop, I don't want to say popularizer, but adherent of that sort of countercultural legacy, um, directly inspiring the creation of a new religion. And creations of new religions based off of mythological concepts and fantasy elements just don't hit as hard when they're made in modern times, when we have documentation to prove. Mm-hmm things don't happen. And it's, it's just interesting. Maybe Alistair Crowley was the last of like that time where you could just say whatever you wanted. And L. Ron Hubbard is definitely not in that time. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, come back next week to where we talk about high demand groups, cult dynamics and uh, Scientology, and maybe get the um, guardian's office to come after us. Please. No, <laughs> no, please don't. Um. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, talked about cult dynamics, good topic to talk about when you're looking into esoteric and occult spooky things, because as we've seen, they're closely related. They they can they can intermix sometimes. So you got to you got to be wary of stuff. You can always question authority. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. On that note, we'll wrap up our discussion of Occult Corner this week and promote ourselves and be on our way. I will be having a shop update with my Steven Universe collection. Hopefully it looks on, really good, you guys. On Sunday, April 30th. So my plan is I'm going to have five self-striping colorways as well as, well as a handful of speckled skeins that will all look very nice together. And I'm going to be offering them at that date, um, both as a set, if you want to be sure to get the whole collection of self-striping and individually, if you just have a favorite character that you would like to get. And I think it's going to be really fun. And I will also be having some of my yarns at a trunk show for local yarn store day, which is also in late April at Knits and Knots Minden. So Knits and Knots, which is my local yarn store has two locations, one in South Lake Tahoe and one in Minden. And my yarns will be at the Minden store. Yay. Yeah. Oh, I have stuff. Uh, <laughs> the uh, zodiac pins are coming soon i don't know exactly when yet end of this month beginning of may somewhere in there keep your eyes peeled it'll be fun mm-hmm. fantastic if you can't get enough fiber coven or you would like to check out our show notes for anything we mentioned in this episode please head on over to fibercoven.com. It'll have show notes. It will have links to our Patreon where we have a rad Discord group as well as a whole nother podcast where we talk about business stuff and what nerd things we're into. And you could get to see our faces as we do this, which is always fun. And it will also have linked to Emily's merch and patterns and it'll have links to my yarn. So fibercoven.com is where you go for all of your Fiber Coven resources. And until next week, y'all, Keep making yarn magic. Bye.